Support for the Trailblazers podcast comes from the Campaign for Black Male Achievement, a national membership network that reminds us that there's no cavalry coming to save the day in our communities. We are the iconic leaders we've been waiting for, the curators of the change we're seeking to see. To learn more about the groundbreaking work of the Campaign for Black Male Achievement, please visit tbpod.com slash blackmaleachievement. You're listening to the Trailblazers podcast, where we will explore the stories of successful Black professionals. Join us as we highlight the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished trailblazers to help provide the know-how, confidence, and motivation you need to blaze your trail. And now, here's your host, Stephen Hart. What's up, Blaze Nation? Listen up, this episode goes live on February 19th. And a week ago, we were honored to have this huge feature of homepage banner on the front page of Apple Podcasts. And so for those of you that maybe are coming to us for the first time as a result of seeing that homepage banner, love to extend a warm welcome and thank you so much for joining us today. The first six weeks of this year of 2018, we spent covering our first official series on the podcast, and we focused in on the topic of building generational wealth. And it was an amazing series. We began back on January 8th, talking with John Rogers Jr. of Aerial Investments. And coming forward, we've had terrific conversations with Dr. Cosette White, Art Steele, Dr. Pamela Jolly, Dr. George Frazier. We wrapped up last week talking with Patrice Washington. Amazing conversations. If you missed it or if you're new to the community, I'm going to highly recommend that you go back and listen to some of those episodes. There's a ton of motivational, inspirational mission fuel and just some practical wisdom that has helped several of our listeners to get their financial situation on the right track towards building wealth. Now, throughout the financial series, I typically we'll ask about books that our featured guests would recommend that we read. And so we've we've had several recommendations throughout the series. And I'm deciding, given this thought, and we've decided to do a contest giveaway for all the recommended books in the series, along with the books that our featured guests from this Well series have authored. So if you'd like to learn more and enter for your chance to win this bundle of amazing books, please hop on over to tbpod.com slash giveaway to learn a little bit more about that, right? So make sure you're into it. Our featured guest for today is Alfred Edmund Jr. Alfred is the Senior Vice President and Executive Editor at Large at Black Enterprise. And Alfred first appeared on our podcast back in July of 2017 on episode 80, I believe. And I thought he was the perfect person for an episode focused on and celebrating Black History Month. And so in today's episode, Alfred is going to share some wisdom, some nuggets of wisdom with us on five Black business legends that we should all know more about. So let's go ahead and get set to dive in and fill up on some mission fuel from today's featured guest, Alfred Edmund Jr. Enjoy. Alfred, welcome back to the Trailblazers podcast, my brother. Yeah, man, it's great to be back. Yes, yes. So for the month of February... I've been coming across some of these amazing posts of yours on Instagram and LinkedIn, and you've been celebrating Black History Month by giving voice to Black business achievers and legends that we should all know, as you say in these posts. And you know, I wanted to maybe kick things off today by having you share what inspired this series. Well, as you know, I've been at Black Enterprise for actually next month will be my 31st anniversary. Yes. Um, and I've always been passionate about Black History Month going back to my undergraduate years in college and so it's a time of year that's very important to me. 
Now at Black Enterprise, every month is Black History Month. So in some ways we're spoiled. We you know this is what we do, celebrating Black achievement in every area, in every profession. That's what we do. So it's almost, it's interesting that February rolls around and it's like everybody comes to our world and see how we live. But one of the things that I kind of became very conscious of my early years at Black Enterprise, and I came, like I said, um, three decades ago, was how Black History Month would come and go and we'd celebrate athletes and we'd celebrate civil rights leaders and we'd celebrate religious leaders and we'd celebrate teachers and, and, and you know, just about everything, but we didn't really celebrate our legacy in business. I mean, wow. even people like Madam C.J. Walker were barely mentioned and outside of her, there was no conversation about black achievement in business. And that was a problem for me because the mythology or the stereotype of black people is somehow that we don't have a business legacy, that we're not good at business, that we didn't, we don't have a legacy as entrepreneurs. We don't have a legacy as executives and nothing could be further from the truth. So what this started out is, you know, maybe a decade ago, I started doing an annual post of business books about black business that everybody should read for Black History Month. And it included classics like Earl Graves, the founder of Black Enterprise, had How to Succeed in Business Without Being White. You got the great, iconic Reginald Lewis, who I'm going to talk about later in the show, who had Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun. And there are countless other great business biographies of Black business achievers that, because I work at Black Enterprise, I've read them all. But I'm like, why don't we talk about these books? Why aren't we talking about H.J. Russell? Why aren't we talking about A.G. Gaston? Why aren't we talking about all these great people who, in very adverse circumstances in many cases, built business empires, and there was a legacy of Black business achievement that you would think during Black History Month, we would put right alongside the Jackie Robinsons and the Martin Luther Kings and the Rosa Parks of the world, and we weren't. And so it became kind of my little personal passion to to highlight that every February with and for Black Enterprise. And then something wonderful happened. And you know me, I love social media. So what I was able only to do as kind of an annual article on blackenterprise.com for many years with Instagram, with Twitter, with Facebook, with LinkedIn, there's so many ways to manipulate and manage content visually as well as with text to really spark interest in these great achievers, many of whom between myself, Derek Dingle, the current chief content officer who I mentioned, who was, who was in his like 35th year at BE. We have met these people. We have written about these people. We've spent time in their companies. You know, Derek Dingle actually wrote a great book called, what's the name of his book? Titans of the BE 100s. I'm going to get the exact title, but he wrote a great book that profiled probably about 30 or 40 of these business achievers that Black Enterprise published about 15 years ago. And so now because of social media, we're able to chop up this content and really get it out to the masses, to our followers, you know, it's getting retweeted and shared. And obviously now, thanks to you featured on your podcast to really let people know you know, black business success did not start with Jay-Z, with all due respect to Jay-Z. It didn't start with 50 Cent. It didn't start with Russell Simmons. It didn't start with Magic Johnson. It didn't start with Oprah Winfrey. It started way before that. And that if you don't understand the legacy of what's going on before, you won't have a context for the business success that we see today. And you won't have the foundation for what we need to do going forward to increase black business success and black wealth. So that's my main driver so that every day I'm thinking of who I'm going to post, just like you got to think of your show topics. Who am I going to post today to let people know that we've been in this game for a minute 
and we play this game well, and we need to let people know that so we can inspire ourselves and future generations of business leaders. That's right. That's right. And I'm so excited about having you, you know, share with our Blazer Nation and educate us about a few, just a few of these stories of these amazing black business legends. And so I know you shared that you had specific personal experiences with many of them that you'll share with us today, but I'd love you to, to just take the floor and inspire us and share some of these stories. Well, the first one I really want to talk about is because it's really timely. That's Reginald F. Lewis. For those who don't know, Reginald F. Lewis did a landmark leverage buyout of Beatrice International Foods in 1987. And it was the largest offshore leverage buyout ever by anybody of any background at the time. And it created the first billion dollar black owned company, which was called TLC Beatrice International. My personal involvement with that story is I broke that story for Black Enterprise. If you look at the November 1987 issue of Black Enterprise, it's a collector's item now. So if you have it, hold on to it. That cover story was broken by me. And I'd only been at the company six months. I mean, not, maybe not even six months. I, I joined in March. That was like August. So it was barely six months that I got the assignment to interview him for the magazine. Now, I want people to know the reason why you want to pay attention to this is that there's a new documentary called Pioneers, Reginald F. Lewis and the Making of a Billion Dollar Empire that's airing on public television stations beginning this weekend on February 16th. But it's going to be streaming nationwide after February 24th. So you want to look out for pioneers, Reginald F. Lewis, and the making of a billion-dollar empire, you know, um, it's going to start streaming after February 24th. It'll be airing on NJTV Saturday, February 24th, and other public stations between now and then. But you want to look at that. That's, it's a great documentary about his life. You also want to read the book, Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun?, which was his biography that he had began writing before his untimely death, and then it was completed after his death. But it, that book inspired probably two or three generations of Black corporate lawyers, Black entrepreneurs, Black Wall Street financiers, because here was a person from Baltimore, Maryland, went and got his college degree, went to Harvard B School, and decided he was going to be a corporate lawyer and specialize in doing business deals, acquiring businesses. Now, you have to understand the business model for most of America and certainly most of Black America at that time was to launch a business, build it up, build it up, build it up, build it up, and hopefully hold on to it for enough decades and enough generations to build a substantial business. And that was what we kind of called the John Johnson model. Ebony Magazine and Johnson Publishing was kind of the model for Black business excellence. John Johnson is another business legend that everybody should know about, but he built a, a half a million dollar business over the course of more than 50 years. This model of Regula Lewis is important because it said that we could also get into financing deals to acquire existing businesses. So on one fell swoop, instead of taking 10, 20, 30, 40 years to build a substantial black owned business, Reginald Lewis, and he wasn't the first to do a leverage buyout, but this is the largest of its kind, showed to the whole world that no, you can create and become the CEO of a substantial company by looking for undervalued assets that already exist and putting together deals to acquire those businesses and bring that under your umbrella. And that's how TSC Beatrice was created. Basically, he bought Beatrice International Foods. He only wanted the companies that were based in Europe, even though they had assets in Canada and Australia and other parts of the world. He sold off 
the other assets that he did not want and use that to pay down the debt that he took on to buy the company and ended up with sole ownership of the European assets. Wow. So the, the, what a leverage buyout is, is that you borrow money to buy an asset so you can sell off pieces of that asset to pay down the debt and then ideally end up with full ownership of just the asset that you really wanted in the first place. So at the time, this is in you know the 80s and it was the age of the leverage buyout and what you call junk bonds. And it was high go-go 80s on Wall Street. And the idea that a black man was able to operate in that environment was not something that was widely accepted. And Reginald Lewis came in and understand he didn't come out of nowhere. And this kind of, well, I'll back into how I ended up getting this story. And let me say, by I was no business journalist by any stretch of the imagination when I first came to Black Enterprise. I was a good journalist who had interviewed business people before, but I was not a business journalist. In fact, my original career goal was to end up at GQ or Esquire. The magazine I worked at before BE was a men's lifestyle fashion magazine. So for me to get this assignment, was intimidating because I was like, leverage buyouts. I'm just figuring out, you know, where Wall Street is, much less understanding complex financial deals. Thankfully, Derek Dingle, again, who's now our chief content officer who was there with me at the time, who used to work at the Wall Street Journal, and my mentor, Cheryl Hilliard Tucker, who was managing editor at the time, really gave me a great crash course in understanding how Wall Street deals worked in preparation for interviewing Reg Lewis. But what happened was I was not there to interview Reg Lewis. My assignment was not to interview him about the Beatrice deal because nobody knew it was going to happen. Nobody knew about it. What happened was Reg Lewis owned McCall Pattern. He was already being celebrated in business media because he turned a $1 million investment into a $90 million return for the price that he got McCall Pattern and then built it up and sold it and made this big deal. So that was the reason why he was already being in the news anyway as a black financier. I got the assignment to interview him about the McCall pattern deal because that was identified by Black Enterprise as the deal of the year for 1987. And back in those days, that's Black Enterprise did an annual deal of the year story in its December issue. So that was the original assignment. I was instructed by Derek and Cheryl to go down to the photo shoot, which took place on Wall Street, right in front of the George Washington statue. Anybody who's familiar with being down by the New York Stock Exchange will know where that is. And said, listen, you've only met him a couple of times. He doesn't know you that well. Go down, talk to him, you know, develop a rapport so that by the time you do your interview, you're not kind of starting from scratch in terms of him knowing who you are. So I go down there and he's being set up by our art director at the time, Jan DeChabert, and the photographer, Jeffrey Scales, who's now a world-renowned photographer for the New York Times, who was assigned to do the photo. And I just was chatting Mr. Lewis up, you know, talking to him. And I asked him a question. And I've written about this at blackenterprise.com. I asked him, what are you going to do next? Wow. And he stopped. He's like, what did you ask me? And I thought I offended him or something. And he goes, I said, well, you just did this deal with McCall. You, you did this 90 to one return. You're getting all this attention. What are you going to do next? And he's told me that out of all the journalists all around the world, from Barron's to Fortune to Wall Street Journal or whatever, nobody asked him that question. Wow. Now, he didn't say this, but I'm going to say this. I think the assumption was that this McCall pattern deal was his 15 minutes of fame. Mm. That as a black man on Wall Street, as a black corporate financier, he, you know, they say, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. Even a blind squirrel finds the nut sometimes. They just figured, okay, great, great job, but we know this is not really your world. So this is it. But the way we work at Black Enterprise is that we assume if you were brilliant once, you're brilliant. <laughs> so it never dawned on us that this was going to be the end of the Reggie Lewis story. 
But we were the only ones, or at least according to him, I was the only one that asked him what he was going to do next. Now, Reg Lewis had this rule that you'll still hear because it's often quoted, never talk a deal until it's done. Yeah. So he said that to me. He said, I have a rule, never talk a deal until it's done. He says, but I'm telling you now, I will tell you this. I am working on something now that's going to be 10 times the size of this McCall deal. And then he wouldn't say anything else. He just went back to the photo shoot. He wouldn't ask her any more questions. And I, in my head, I'm like, 10 times 90. And I said, that's like close to a billion dollars. That's right. But he wouldn't say anything. So I excused myself, jumped back on the train, the number four train, back up to near Union Square, where BE's offices were at the time, and went to Derek and went to Cheryl. And we ultimately had to go to our publisher and founder, Earl Grace, and convince him to move our cover story for Reg Lewis, which was slated for the December issue, to the November issue, which hadn't gone to press yet. The article, the cover story was written for it, but the article, the issue hadn't gone to press. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. He didn't tell me anything else, but I think something's going to happen. And if it does, we'll already be positioned to have a scoop. And like two weeks later, he announced the Beatrice deal, and we were the only ones that had an exclusive interview. Wow. And that became the cover story that I consider my birth as a business journalist, not just a journalist who wrote about business. In fact, and this is how Reg- Reginald Lewis, I don't always use the word cool when I talk about him, but he had like a Denzel Washington swag to him. Like it was very <laughs> understated. And people, he, was, he was big. He was a big supporter of progressive causes and he was a huge philanthropist. And, and so he used his power and influence behind the scenes to make things happen. So, and when you see the documentary that I talked about, you'll see, you know, Reginald Lewis beyond being a business leader. But he did this really cool thing. So when he knew I had the interview for this story and he knew I was going to be able to write about this deal, what he said to me, he was like, listen, come to my office and you can watch me as I start selling off these assets. Wow. And he was like, they'll just think you work for me. You'll just be another black guy in the room. They don't know. <laughs> so he literally had me sitting there as he sold off one of the assets that he, was, he had to sell off in order to acquire the resources to ultimately pay down the debt that he used to buy the whole company. And so the lead of the story that I wrote for the November 1987 um, issue of Black Enterprise was literally describing him selling off these assets. So he gave me a real inside track that he had no reason and no other than he just wanted to illustrate for the world what this world looked like because most Black Americans, it was never in that kind of a room to see that kind of thing go down. So he was thoughtful beyond just, oh, I'm getting media attention. I'm being treated like a big deal. He was very, in my mind, I mean, he never said these words to me. He was very considerate and thoughtful of what this meant in terms of the story and the impact it could have on the world beyond just the fact that he was going to own a big billion dollar business. And that business obviously grew beyond that. Before the business was ultimately sold several years later, it was run by his wife, Lloyda Lewis, another giant. This is the person who single-handedly kept the Reg Lewis legacy alive over the years to make sure his story was told. There's a Reginald F. Lewis Museum in Baltimore because of Lloyd Lewis. But that company became a $2.4 billion company before it was over. Wow. So now people in corporate law, especially if they're black people who are Wall Street financiers, people who started Wall Street businesses, they know Reginald Lewis because people will tell you, I'm in business because of Reginald Lewis. I'm in business because I read Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? I'm in this profession because Everybody from Bob Johnson, who obviously founded BET, to 
Bill Lazard, who is a director, you know, at one of the top Wall Street firms in the country, everyone will tell you that Reg Lewis deal was what made me decide to do what I do. But unfortunately, even though I think that's changing thanks to the work of Lloyd Lewis, and now his daughter is Leslie Lewis and Christina Lewis, and Christina is the founder and creator of All Star Code, which is a program designed to get black men in particular, black boys and men into the technology industry. So they're carrying on his legacy in so many different ways. But it's thanks to their efforts that the Reg Lewis story is now getting told in wider circles, including this documentary that is, again, going to be streaming nationwide after February 24th. That's awesome, man. You know, why, why should white guys have all the fun is definitely hands down one of the most recommended books I think I've heard from our guests over the years. So yeah, uh, you won't, your life, your mindset won't be the same after you read that book. There's no way to, uh, there's no way to overestimate the impact that Reg Lewis has had on, and not just black people, but so many people. I mean, the International Law Center at Harvard is named for Reginald F. Lewis. I mean, that's a mouthful right there. Yes. Um, so he, again, he's just, I don't want to spend the whole show on him, but that's an example of that when if somebody says they never heard of Reg Lewis and it's Black History Month, it's like, we're not doing our jobs if people, if our children and their children don't know Reg Lewis as well as they know Rosa Parks and Dr. King with all due respect to Rosa Parks and Dr. King. Yes. All right. So let's move on. Let's talk about a couple of the other black legends that you had here. Well, the next person I want to talk about is A.G. Gaston, who in many ways was the Reg Lewis of his generation. A.G. Gaston built his business empire in Birmingham, Alabama at the height of Jim Crow. He owned Booker T. Washington Insurance Company. He owned a bank. He owned a hotel. He owned radio station properties. If you want to read about him, there's a book called Black Titan that was written by Carol Simpson, the famed television journalist, and Elizabeth Gardner both of whom were related to A.G. Gaston. And I I knew Carol Simpson for years. I didn't know she was related to A.G. Gaston. But A.G. Gaston and the book Black Titan, you need to read that book. Because whenever we talk about the challenges that we as Black entrepreneurs face today, and they are significant, I don't want to belittle those challenges that we face even in 2018, you will draw courage and determination when you realize what this man was able to achieve in the 1930s and 1940s and the 1950s in terms of really becoming one of the earliest black millionaires at a time when everything was stacked against your ability to achieve that goal. And the cool thing about A.G. Gaston, in terms of my experience, is he lived to be 103. So I got to meet him and spend time with him (laughs) because he was named our Entrepreneur of the Century by Black Enterprise in 1987. And we honored him in Atlanta shortly after that. And he was around for all of that. In fact, as the story goes, he worked full days. He came to work every day well past his age of 100. Wow. And he had a stroke somewhere in there around that time. And then he said, okay, I'll dial it back. And then he started coming in half days. But he came to work every day. And again, when you talk about inspiration for Black entrepreneurship, A.G. Gaston was a mentor to an inspiration to the John Johnsons. And you know, Earl Graves, the founder of Black Enterprise, counted them as a mentor. Everybody looked to A.G. Gaston as kind of the guy who did it well at totally adverse circumstances and did it for a very long time and showed what it was like to really achieve in business. So, again, everybody should know who A.G. Gaston is. And when I say everybody, I don't mean just black people. These are American business heroes, Reggie Lewis, A.G. Gaston, 
and some of the other people that I have the privilege of talking about on your show. But get the book Black Titan by Carol Simpson and Elizabeth Gardner. And that book is just as good as Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun. He had a fascinating life, fascinating experiences. He got kidnapped one time. What? <laughs> uh, yeah, because I mean, when you're that wealthy and people know about it, um, I can't, I'm not going to spoil it to tell you how it turned out, but obviously he lived through it. But these, these are just fascinating stories in general, not just great black business stories. I mean, they're just great stories. So yeah, you should know who A.G. Gaston is if you're serious about Black History Month. Yes, yes. I'm just going to let everyone know that we'll definitely have a link up over at tbpod.com with links to all of these books that Alfred is sharing with us today. So hop on over to tbpod.com and we'll post the links for those books for you right there. Yeah. And again, as it was mentioned earlier, every day during Black History Month, I'm posting on social media and particularly on Instagram. You can follow the hashtag Black Biz Legend and see my posts on different, all these people and other people during the course of the month who are Black business legends that you should know for Black History Month. So we're only going to get to go through a few during the course of this show. But I'm telling you, I have no trouble every day coming up with somebody to talk about because our legacy is broad and deep in the business space. And we just need to know that, especially given how entrepreneurial current generations of African-Americans, Generation X, millennials, and the post-millennial generation is probably more entrepreneurial than any previous generation. And they need to know that they have a legacy in this space. Absolutely. The next person I want to talk about is actually now getting a lot more attention. And I'm thankful for that, in part because of our own efforts. She's now very active on social media. She's on Instagram. She's on Facebook. She's a phenomenal, fabulous, and I mean fabulous in every sense of the word, young woman. I mean, I, I say young because she's, she's young at heart. Right. <laughs> so as far as I'm concerned, she's young. But many people do not know that the largest black female-owned business is a company called Act One Group. And it's led by a woman named Janice Bryant Howroyd, who again now is getting is a lot more visible. And but we've been covering Janice Bryant Howroyd at Black Enterprise for at least twenty years. Not only does she own the largest Black female-owned business, she owns the second largest Black business. Period. Act One did two point eight billion dollars in revenues in twenty sixteen. That's amazing. Exactly. It's, it's very amazing. It's based out of Torrance, California. She's an HBCU alum, a very proud HBCU alum. I'm going to call out, I don't want to just guess what school she went to, but she's from North Carolina, went to HBCU, started this personnel and talent acquisition business, and slowly and more quietly than she deserves, built this business up into a multi-billion dollar business. And she's very active in terms of supporting HBCUs. In fact, she was at South by Southwest this past year, and I think she's going to be there again this year. But a special rust around HBCUs at South by Southwest. She is so cutting edge. She is fly. <laughs> she is something else. She should be an icon that, you know, when you talk about real housewives, she, I mean, she puts that kind of thing to shame. She's a real business icon mogul who's doing it for real um, in the present. Her net worth is estimated to be $420 million as of 2016. She went to North Carolina A&T State University and is a very proud HBCU product. I mean, and everybody should know her. And certainly every black woman, when you look at the fact that black women entrepreneurs are the, still the fastest growing group of black entrepreneurs in America, that entrepreneurship has been a real source of both resources and inspiration for black women. 
this is your role model. This is your hero. This is your icon. This is who you should know. So Janice Bryant Howroyd is just amazing. She speaks at Black Enterprise events all the time. We just honored her with, we do a Lifetime Achievement Award that's actually named after A.G. Gaston. And she was, um, was our A.G. Gaston Award honoree last year. She gave a speech that was off the chain in terms of understanding the context of what it means to be a Black entrepreneur and what that means for the uplifting of our nation. I mean, Janice Bryan Howroyd is everything. And again, you can find her on Instagram and Facebook now because she's very, very active. You want to follow her on Instagram. You want to follow her on Facebook. She releases these very inspiring videos. Like she did this video about she went back to the first office that she ever had and told the story of what it was like back when she started the company and what she's accomplished since then. So she's very grounded. She's very, what do you say, down to earth. It's almost you know a cliche to say someone's down to earth, but she really is that. She's a woman with strong values from North Carolina that did it the right way and is you know now, again, a business icon that everyone should know. Love it. Love it. Love it. We got time for one more? Absolutely. Let's keep going, man. Okay. Well, everybody in Atlanta knows this next person. So Atlanta listeners are going to be like, what, why are you acting like you don't know? But a lot of people still don't know what they should know about H.J. Russell, Herman J. Russell, the founder of H.J. Russell Construction. If you look at the Atlanta skyline, even today, much of that Atlanta skyline is H.J. Russell Construction Company's work. But not only in Atlanta, because H.J. Russell Construction is and has been for decades the largest Black-owned construction company in the country, it ended up getting a lot of work around the country for cities that are looking to do business with Black construction companies. It had the capacity to do major projects like the Georgia Dome in Atlanta and other major you know, construction projects. So you want to know about Herman J. Russell. He was one of the first, not the first, but one of the first African-American leaders of not the Black Chamber of Commerce in Atlanta, but the mainstream Chamber of Commerce. And by the way, he mentored other Blacks in the construction industry. So if you're looking at other Black-owned construction companies that are doing anything major, most of them will say they owe a debt directly to Herman J. Russell, because he really set an example of not just growing and building his own companies, but doing business with other Black-owned construction companies so they could gain the experience to also do business, not only in Atlanta, but around the country. He's just an amazing man, an amazing man, an amazing story. And by the way, accomplished all this with a noticeable speech impediment. Wow. I mean, when people talk about, oh, I can't do this and I can't do that, and I'm black, or I'm none of that stopped H.J. Russell from becoming an absolute giant, not only in Atlanta, not only in black business, but in this industry. And so you need to know the H.J. Russell story. There is a biography of H.J. Russell that you definitely want to read. But again, just just an amazing person. I got to spend a lot of time around him because obviously because of the BE100s, the BE100s is our annual ranking of the nation's largest Black-owned businesses. We got to write about and interview these executives on an annual basis as we tracked the growth of their companies. And again, this man, he was almost like a Sam Walton, a Walmart type of guy. I know Derek Dingle, who interviewed H.J. Russell from Black Enterprise on a number of occasions, remarked about how this was somebody who was truly wealthy, who did not believe in wasting money, you know, showing off and flossing, you know. So I think they went to, I don't know, something like a Kentucky Fried Chicken or something like that for lunch. So the man could, he had the money to spend whatever he wanted to, but he was very, very serious about the proper use of money and the proper 
leveraging of money. He brags, and I think I posted it on Instagram, he never missed a payroll in all the years that he owned this business because he was very serious about smart management of the business, not just growing the business and showing himself off as a rich person. The name of his biography, by the way, is Building Atlanta, How I Broke Through Segregation to Launch a Business Empire. And remember, this is in the South. Like A.G. Gaston, much of what H.G. Russell accomplished was in a South that was not necessarily open and welcoming of the ambitions of a Black businessman. But the other thing you want to know about the H.G. Russell story is that he's also an example of what happens when African-Americans exercise their political power. Because H.J. Russell maybe couldn't have happened if we didn't fight for the right to vote and the civil rights movement, which led to the election of Maynard Jackson as the first black mayor of Atlanta. And Maynard Jackson as the first black mayor of Atlanta made it, he basically pioneered the idea that cities must do business with black entrepreneurs. That if you're going to do business with the city, everybody has to have a seat at the table, including black entrepreneurs. Maynard Jackson laid that groundwork for what we now accept as, not necessarily business as usual, but the expectation that there should be at least a place at the table for Black, female, military, women entrepreneurs to participate in the prosperity of a city or a state or a country. And it's not a coincidence that H.J. Russell's rise and growth as a construction company directly coincided with Maynard Jackson's election and Maynard Jackson's on-purpose decision that if Black entrepreneurs were going to do business in the city, no business was going to get done. So Maynard Jackson, though, he, he was no more as the mayor of Atlanta, even though as head of Jackson Securities, he was a business owner himself. But we need to understand the lesson of the Maynard Jackson and H.J. Russell and why it's important that we insist that we support policies that fight for the inclusion of all people in the business of a city, because that's how you know, wealth is created. Government spending is still a major, major bucket of black business revenue or business revenue in general. So, and I should circle back because all these dots connect. While A.G. Gaston is best known for being this prominent Birmingham black businessman, guess who helped finance the civil rights movement in Birmingham behind the scenes when Dr. King and other civil rights leaders were in Birmingham? Awesome. People don't realize being a civil rights leader is not exactly the road to wealth. Martin Luther King wasn't rolling in dough. None of those people were rolling in dough. They were making sacrifices to do what they did. But there were businessmen like A.G. Gaston in Birmingham behind the scenes that were a major force to help finance the efforts of the civil rights movement. And the same was true for H.G. Russell in Atlanta. He was a major force to help support efforts in Atlanta around civil rights because he had the resources, the financial resources that Dr. King and other leaders did not have themselves. That's amazing. So there's a direct correlation between black business achievement and black political empowerment and engagement. That still exists to this day when we look at people like John Rogers, CEO of Ariel Capital Management, and his role in first President Obama becoming a senator, and then that carrying out, carrying forward to him ultimately becoming president. Reginald Lewis was a major supporter of Jesse Jackson's presidential campaigns. There's not a significant Black politician who has achieved anything without a strong Black business community helping to finance and champion that effort, because that's what it takes to succeed in politics. So just a lot of great lessons in there. And so you want to know who H.J. Russell is. You want to read that book, Building Atlanta. You are taking me back in the history books, man. You're bringing this to life and I'm loving it. And so we went through four and 
we have just a couple more minutes, right? I think we wouldn't do this episode justice unless you brought it home for us with Earl Graves Senior. Yeah, you're right. And <laughs> you and I are, are you reading my mind. So, okay, now I'm biased. I love this man like a father. I've worked for him for now more than three decades. I've been the editor of his column for most of that time. So I've got to work very closely with him and get to spend time in his head over these years. But without Black Enterprise, without Earl Graves establishing this media company that started with our magazine in 1970, most of us would not know about any of these people, whether you're talking about Ken Chenault, who just retired as CEO of American Express, who has openly said publicly that if Black Enterprise hadn't put me on the cover of the magazine back in 1986, who knows what would have happened because people wouldn't have known what I was doing. And executives, entrepreneurs, over generation after generation after generation will point to Earl Graves and Black Enterprise is the catalyst for why we even think of Black business and having a Black business community and a Black business legacy. Your Earl Graves, another HBCU alum, proud graduate of Morgan State University. The business school at Morgan State is named for him. They just opened a whole brand new, fantastic school of business and management a couple of years ago, and he was there at the dedication with his son, Earl Graves Jr., who's my boss and CEO, and his grandchildren. (laughs) Yeah. And you, so you, the book you want to read to understand the Earl Graves story is How to Succeed in Business Without Being White. It's funny. It's challenging. He gives great lessons on everything from mentorship to negotiation to value systems to the importance of family. And you read that book, you'll have a blueprint for what it really means to be not only a successful entrepreneur, but a successful person in life. Earl Graves, it's impossible to say even with me being biased, and I'm admittedly biased, it's impossible to overestimate his impact because without Earl Graves, without Black Enterprise, I wouldn't have a chance to tell the Reggie Lewis story. Right. We wouldn't have that chance to tell the A.G. Gaston stories. There would be no A.G. Gaston Lifetime Achievement Award. There would be no Black Enterprise Entrepreneurs Summit, which is, again, coming up in Charlotte. You want to go to blackenterprise.com and make sure you're there, which is our big celebration and promotion of Black entrepreneurship. You wouldn't have any of those things, these things that we almost take for granted today, if it wasn't for Earl G. Graves and Black Enterprise. So he's an absolute business icon on his own, but he's the business icon that makes the stories of all the other business icons possible. Black Enterprise is who named John H. Johnson Entrepreneur of the Decade in 1987. Black Enterprise named Gilsey Beatrice and Reginald F. Lewis Company of the Year in 1988, in addition to breaking the story in 1987. You name a black business icon, and I will point to an article in Black Enterprise that was written before Forbes saw them, before Fortune, before any business publication paid attention to these people. In fact, they're not going to say this, but I'll say it. We know that when they decide which black people they think are worth covering and paying attention to, at least one of their criterion is, has Black Enterprise talked about them yet? Because we are the gold standard for Black business achievement in America. We've been that since 1970, and we're still there today, which is why I take very seriously the social media campaign, which I'm doing on my own. I mean, it wasn't like Derek came to me and said, listen, I want you to start posting about Black business achievement during Black History Month. If he had asked me to, to, I'd do it. But I do this because this is my personal passion. If I didn't work for Black Enterprise, I'd still be doing this campaign on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook because it's important to me that my children, who are now all adults, and two of my children are entrepreneurs, they understand this legacy because we call them BE kids. They grew up in this world. So my kids can tell you everything that I just told you, my kids can tell you. 
but we need it so that you don't have to have work for Black Enterprise or have a parent that worked for Black Enterprise to still understand this legacy that we have and that we need to proudly proclaim and share as widely as possible, not just for Black America and not just for America, but for the world. Yes, yes. Alfred, thank you so much, my brother. My tank right now is full with some great mission feel. Really happy that we're able to talk today and you open my eyes to the work of these legends and, and also, I think, in this call, really connected the dots, you know, with how they impacted each other and how that impact moved forward to today. So thank you so very much. You touched on Entrepreneurial Summit. I'd love for you to maybe share that once more. Yes. And anything else that you, you kind of want to share before we wrap up here? Yes. The Black Enterprise Entrepreneur Summit is going to be at Charlotte, North Carolina. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be amazing. It's the largest gathering of Black entrepreneurs in the country each year. The goal is to obviously empower and educate and enrich entrepreneurs to build their businesses bigger, better, and more competitive. It's going to take place in Charlotte, the Charlotte Convention Center, June 6th through 9th, 2018. I'm going to be there. You should be there. You need to be dragged. If you're even thinking about starting a business, you need to be there. And I got to give props to the city of Charlotte. They are rolling out the red carpet to make this the biggest, best entrepreneur summit yet. So you can go to blackenterprise.com and click on the events tab and learn about the Entrepreneur Summit and all of our events. And registration is open, so you can get on get in now. I think the early bird is still in effect, at least to the end of this month. You want to get in. You really want to get in. This conference is like none other, and hopefully I'll get to see you there. And if I can, Stephen, just indulge you for just one more thing I want to say before, before we end the show. Absolutely. I, I want to pay tribute. Uh, many of you may not be aware, and many of you may be aware, that we lost a giant on the morning of February 14th in the personage of Lerone Bennett Jr., the longtime editor at Ebony, the historian who wrote Before the Mayflower. Many of us who took Black history courses in college had our minds changed by reading that book and studying his work. He passed away early on February 14th. Anybody who's a Black journalist or a Black historian or a Black academic is mourning his loss. He was a gentleman. He was a great person. And I just wanted to make sure that, you know, this is the first interview I've done since his passing. And I do want to pay tribute. And if you're talking about Black History Month, everybody's saying of all the people that died during Black History Month, Lerone Bennett was Black History. So it's almost like God was like, I'm a time this just right. So you understand who this man is. So, you know, my condolences to the Ebony and Johnson Publishing family and the Bennett family. And thank you for the gift of this amazing man and an amazing life, Lerone Bennett Jr. Alfred Edmund Jr., thank you so much, my brother. Thank you for the work you're doing, and thank you for, for the wisdom you've shared in this episode. Thank you for the work you're doing. You're part of this legacy too, man, and you're carrying that flag well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Trailblazers podcast. I'll be posting links to all of today's book recommendations and links mentioned on our show notes page at tdpod.com. If today was your first time listening to the Trailblazers podcast, I just want to extend a warm Trailblazers welcome to you. We're so happy to have you here and we encourage you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Go ahead and browse through some of our past episodes to keep the knowledge flowing. If you're a fan of the podcast and today's content, and you're maybe already subscribed to the podcast, please continue to share and invite your friends, your family, your colleagues to listen to an episode that you think might impact them most. We believe that someone listening to these inspiring stories will be moved 
to make significant changes that will have generational impact for many others, both now and well into the future. Don't miss next week's episode. New episodes are released each and every Monday by about 5 a.m. Eastern. Trailblazers, jump off this podcast today. Go find a way to rise above, go way beyond, and keep blazing your trail. Cheers.